If you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. In the Pew Bible in front of you, that's page 931. Uh, We'll be interacting with Acts 22 today briefly. Um, The sermon series is going through the book of Acts. We're looking at Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, Today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. On June 19th through the 26th, uh, we took nine, uh, just completed their freshman year of high school, and two adults to St. Louis for Grace Chapel's first high school missions trip. Hopefully it's an annual thing, uh, and we wanted our kids to be able to share today. So I'm going to be interacting with Acts 2. We're going to be hearing from the kids. It's a lot, I know, uh, so buckle in uh, as we get going. But uh, today's sermon won't be me expositing the word as much as it will be interacting with our verses as they relate to our team sharing about the mission trip and how God opened our eyes like he did Paul's when Paul was on a mission trip to persecute Jesus and his church. My hope is that you will see how the Lord has opened the eyes of our team to his kingdom coming into expression in their life in the city of St. Louis as well as the new set of eyes that our students and team got when they went to St. Louis, but also what he's doing here in Lincoln. So I have three goals this morning as we share. Briefly, what I want to do is situate the mission trip within the outline of Acts chapter 22. Then I briefly want to situate you within the New City Fellowship Church so that you have a context to kind of get your bearings as the kids are sharing. And then third... And I think sometimes the most exciting is to hear from our students uh, and how the Lord opened their eyes to new things. So that's where we're headed this morning. But before we jump in, let's pray together. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you this time. Uh, We ask that you would help us to settle in. Lord, we love your word. We love that you are on the move. We love to see how you are acting. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to have those eyes of faith today. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you look in verses 1 and 2, we're going to be looking at Paul's defense and how that relates to our mission trip. So verse 1 starts out, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So with the hostile crowd gathered, Luke uses the word defense for the way Paul addresses the crowd. While there were many in the crowd upset with him for talking about Jesus and the good news, Paul merely doesn't give a reasoned response to all the charges that are brought against him. Instead, Paul takes the opportunity to talk about Jesus and tell of how Jesus has changed his life. And Paul, in verse 2, doesn't use language his audience will have trouble understanding. As you listen today to our students, you won't hear any Greek or Hebrew parsed, but you will hear how Christ has transformed the lives of our students. Let's move on to verses 3 through 5. This is Paul's passion for the Lord. Luke writes about Paul, I am a Jew, this is Paul talking, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem. To be punished. As Paul tells about how Jesus has changed his life, he wants to reinforce to the crowd that in every respect he was zealous for God. As our kids share their stories today, here's a bit of the things they've done before the mission trip to show their zeal for Christ. All of them have professed faith in Jesus Christ, all attend our youth group consistently. All had to fill out an application and had to pay money to attend. All had to attend the four preparation meetings as we prepared for the mission trip. Part of the preparation was Bible study. It was on the fatherless, the widows and orphans, to see how God feels about those people and loves them well. And each of them had homework assignments to complete between each prep meeting. 
So while they are not perfect, our students love Jesus a lot and live a lifestyle of following Christ. Let's move on to verses 6 through 16. This is Paul's encounter with the risen Christ and his commission. Paul says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise, and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. This is where the magic happened. It was as Paul was approaching Damascus that the encounter happened. And notice, this took place in another city, not in his home. It was in Damascus where his encounter with Jesus changed everything. Not merely a physical healing of Paul's eyes, but the healing of the eyes of his heart. See, Paul was a good Jew. He knew Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Paul knew that anyone hung on a tree was cursed by God. So having a discussion from the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, proved that Jesus was alive. He was not cursed by God. Jesus was and is God. Paul's mind was blown. His world was turned upside down. His blindness had been removed. Now he began to see the world through the eyes of Christ. In being a witness, Paul was to tell others what he had seen and heard. This is what I'm excited for you to hear today from our students. The eyes of their heart being healed, to be able to see God's kingdom coming into expression, certainly in St. Louis, but more importantly in their individual lives as they go about life in Lincoln. But before I move on to the, sex, the second section, where I try to situate you about New City Fellowship Church, I want to make a point of saying thanks for your part in this process. Many of you were here when these kids were baptized. Many of you have served in the nursery, and with children's church, with Sunday school, have been youth leaders. Many of you have done life with these kids and their families. You have invested in them. This is the joy of the covenant community and doing life together so that we can have just a moment to see all that God is doing and celebrate that God is faithful in our midst. So thank you. Here's another part. The Sunday before we left, the team was called forward and prayed over during corporate worship, set apart and commissioned by you. Then the missions team also came and met with our team and helped us process and prayed over us. This church has been intimately involved in encountering Christ, helping our teens to encounter Christ, to being sent to be where they are today. So now, let me uh, sort of set up St. Louis for you and uh, restore St. Louis. First thing is New City Fellowship. New City Fellowship is a church that was planted about 25 years ago in the city of St. Louis. Its focus is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also on racial reconciliation in the city of St. Louis. New City Fellowship has four locations that we ministered in the week that we were there. We stayed at the University City site. University City is an inner ring suburb 
um, just outside of the West End where most of the ministry is done. The university site is where we slept, that's where we ate, that's where we did devotions, that's where we attended church. We tutored at the New City Fellowship South City location. That was about 20 to 25 minutes away from where we were staying uh, at the U City site. We did backyard clubs at the church office in the park nearby it. So the church offices were, think warehouse, think like a carpet warehouse. That's where the church offices were. We drove by the first night. Our kids didn't even know that's where the church offices were because there's construction equipment out front and it just looks like a warehouse. So that's where we did our backyard Bible clubs at a park just down the street and then in the church uh, parking lot. So that was, uh, yeah, about 10 to 15 minutes away. Uh, one day, our work site, we helped clean the pantry at New City's new church uh, plant location, which is in the west end of St. Louis. Currently, their new church plant is leasing space uh, from a Seventh-day Adventist church. And so we helped them sort of clean out their pantry and uh, so that as a church, they can begin uh, meeting there as a Seventh-day Adventist church and then also New City Uh, West End campus. So that was about 20 minutes away. The church service on a given Sunday normally it meets in the gym at the U City site, uh, but because of COVID we were outside. uh, And on any given Sunday, uh, we would sing in uh, English. This is the church that I went to. We were members at when I was in seminary. So the bigger picture, Uh, we were able to sing in English and French and Spanish and Swahili and Lingala. Because that's the, the groups of people that make up the church. It wasn't to be cute. It was because that's who represents the church. That's who's part of the church. And so uh, there was numerous times I remember where sermons would happen that would be translated either into English or from, in, from English into another language during corporate worship. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a feel uh, for corporate worship as we participated in it. We were outside in their circle uh, driveway for our outside service uh, the day that we were there uh, in chairs just kind of gathered around is how corporate worship is. Uh, Sort of the outreach ministry arm of New City Fellowship uh, are a bunch of 501c3s that make up what's called Restore St. Louis. Uh, here's what the website says. It says it better than me. Uh, Restore St. Louis is made up of seven ministries that connects God's people in the church, uh, connects God's people, the church, with the opportunities to manifest his love in the city of St. Louis by showing love to the poor, widowed, orphans, immigrants, and refugees in the city of St. Louis. So you'll hear stories uh, as we engaged with four, uh, about four of the different 501c3 ministries that are there. Also for you to know, it's, it's helpful to know that these ministries exist year-round. It's not just uh, for summer missions teams that come in, uh, do stuff, feel good about themselves, and then come back uh, to their churches and say how great it was, and then everybody can get excited. Uh, but, but these ministries are going on year-round. When I was in seminary, I served with Firm Foundation Tutoring, uh, and so each week for three years, I tutored uh, different kids throughout the school year. And so those ministries are happening year-round. We just come in the summers, they sort of uh, bring in teams, uh, mission teams around the, the nation to help what they're doing. Uh, the daily schedule, I'm going to run through this to give you just a feel for our week. And it was bonkers. It was bonkers. Last time I led a missions trip was eight years ago uh, before seminary. And so I've put on eight years. So it was hard to keep up with the kids. And it was hard to keep up with the schedule. But here we go. Since it was our first year uh, being there, we volunteered to set up breakfast at 6.30. So uh, I think day should start at about 9 or 10. So 6.30 for me was, uh, it was a doozy, shall we say. So we were up, we were there downstairs in the cafeteria at 6.30, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to get everything set up for our group and for the other group uh, that was there. It was a group of about 12. Actually, it was, uh, there was only two groups there. The other group was my former youth group that I led when I was in Illinois. So those were the two groups that were there this week, uh, the week that we were there, and then set up for the interns also who were there. So seven o'clock was breakfast, eight o'clock was devotions. It normally went for an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. From there, we had to get into the vans as fast as we could because the tutoring had already started in the South City site. We had 20 to 25 minutes to get there. So we hauled it out to the church van and drove the 20 to 25 minutes to get to tutoring. Tutoring went from 9.30 to 12. Uh, By the second day, the kids found out, you know what I should do? I should bring my lunch in the van because we don't have time once we get back to church to change into our work site stuff. So I should just eat there. Um, 
yeah, so that's what they did. They, uh, they ate in the van on the way back uh, because we had to leave by 1245 to get to the work project. The work projects went from 1 to 3.30 or 4. Uh, free time started at 3.30, so it depended when we got back, but we would do our work site until 3.30. Then the kids would have free time from 3.30 to 5, uh, and then supper was from 5 to 6. And then we had to be at the Backyard Bible Club site by 6.30, uh, and then we left by 8 because we had to be out of where we were by dark. Uh, after that at 8 o'clock, then because I have a problem loving St. Louis bubble tea almost every night, I took the kids down to the Del Mar Loop to get uh, bubble tea every night. When we didn't do that, I took them to Ted Drew's to get custard. Uh, and so that was uh, the free time that happened until 10.30. Uh, then they had to be in their rooms uh, at 10.30 and then lights out were 11 if they were able to get to sleep. So it was a bang, bang, bang week. The kids were flying, and their old, old youth pastor barely kept up. Uh, also, just to give you a picture, the interns, they bring in college interns in the summer to lead the tutoring, to lead the different ministry activities uh, that we were there to help and support and to encourage. So when the kids talk about the interns, uh, you'll know that those were the kids that are brought in from around the nation to help lead. What was really neat uh, for me was um, the impact that the interns had on our kids. Almost every kid that, that went on the mission trip came up to me at one point and said, I want to spend a summer serving as an intern at New City Fellowship doing this stuff because their lives were transformed. The interns invested in our kids in ways that are long-lasting. Uh, I think that's enough of the setup. Now what we're going to do is we're going to hear first from Allie Grummert on video. We have two videos, but then the kids will be sharing in person. Uh, and so let's hear from Allie, one of our adult leaders. Hey, Grace Chapel. Allie Grummert here. I am one of the two chaperones that went with the teens to St. Louis. And it was my first time leading a mission trip. I grew up going to mission trips all through high school, went to summer camps, things like that. And so I have a big place in my heart for youth uh, youth ministry is what really drew me to a relationship with Jesus when I was in high school. And so it was such a joy to go alongside these five youth, these five students um, for eight days. Now, one of the things we often talked about because we would run into different kind of conflict here or there was about we're not used to spending that much time with one another. It's usually an hour and a half on Wednesday nights or an hour on Sunday morning. And this was like life on life, day by day, minute by minute involvement in each other's lives. And not only that, but we're getting shuffled from place to place, to event to event. And each of those different events have different expectations. Just ask the kids how much it shifted between what you need to pack for one event versus another. Um, it was a lot. And so there'd be tension. There'd be a lot of questions like, what do we need? Or what time do we need to be there? There was always something. Um and so what I observed were youth who were dedicated to caring for one another. And if that meant bringing up conflict, it was possible. And they did it as loving as possible, um, knowing that this is a long-term, you know, like relationship, if you will. Like we're together for eight days in and out, uh, whether you want to go along or not. So I... However, I'm also 32. I am twice their age. Uh, I used to joke that I'm like the big sister, and I've been reminded that I'm more like the aunt now. I'm not really even close to being their sister, a possible sister age. And so it was a real um, challenge, too, to be able to keep up with the students. And so I knew, just from how my body works and my emotional and mental health, is that I knew I would need to take our break time every day and just like lay horizontal on my mattress in the girls' room with the lights off and just decompress. And that's what I did. And it felt really unpopular in my opinion. I'm like, I'm not that cool youth leader who's like, let's go play capture the flag. I'm like, no, I'm going to let you do that. I'm just going to be here. Um, and so there were days where I definitely felt um, like I wasn't being the best leader possible, but I also learned from talking with the girls and the youth in general, all of the boys too, like having Isaac and I there as leaders to listen and guide um, and be a support system for them is what they needed more than somebody who could play capture the flag with them. So the girls and I would have late night conversations past curfew, um, 
and we would talk in and out throughout the day about everything under the sun, what they were experiencing or um, relationships within the group or relationships with the interns in the other group. Just being there to absorb that with them uh, was a real joy. And it was, yeah, towards the end of the trip, Isaac asked the students, just kind of opened it up. What is something nice you can say about someone else here about how you saw them serve today or love like Jesus? And it was so fun to hear like the popcorn answers throughout the van. And one of the students, I think it was Naomi, might have been Emma, uh, saying, Allie, thank you for being someone who listens. (sighs) It gave me such a sigh of relief because I didn't need to be the leader that I thought they wanted. I needed to be me. I needed to be consistent. I needed to be available to listen. And I needed to be there. Sure, I bailed for an hour and a half every day, but they knew where they could find me. I was always on my bed. <laughs> so um, if anything, that is what really opened up my eyes to what the students need. And and I know that I went into this trip wanting that quality time with them. Um, I've been to third world countries. I've been on other mission trips, like in South Dakota, on reservations. I've kind of done that. So that wasn't really new to me. I knew coming in, I'd have that experience to share with them, um, having done mission trips before. But I knew I was going to be in those girls' lives, knowing I only have a few summers with them. We, as a church, only have a few summers left with these youth. They're 15 They're going to be out of our doors here soon. So what does it look like to really love them through this period of time where they are thinking a lot and they have a ton of questions and the world is throwing them all sorts of different questions and answers and ways of doing life and they need us to listen. They need us to cheer them on, uh, to be present and yeah, and to see them for the beautiful youth that they are, the handsome youth that they are inside and out. Um, so I am grateful to have been a chaperone on this trip. And yeah, I look forward to future trips, especially as these youth have now been there. They've had this first taste of what New City Fellowship is like, what all the programs are like. And so that'll be less of a learning curve for next time. So I just think our kids were champs. They went into the complete unknown, unknown program, unknown city, unknown other people who are going to be there. We didn't know if it'd be 40 other people or 150. Like we went in kind of blind. And so I am grateful to have them as, you know, the leaders for next year um, who can come in and, and tell the younger students or students their age who join us as well how it works, how it rolls, uh, what the expectations are, and how to be a servant in a city um, and with a church that's not yours, but knowing that it's part of the greater kingdom. Good morning, Grace Chapel. Um, My name is Naomi, and today I want to share a little bit about um, New City Fellowship and the Sunday that we were there and and just kind of what stood out to me. So as Isaac said, the service was outside. Um, there was lots of people, lots of children running around. Um, you look and you see people, they don't look like you, and they speak different languages, and um, just joyful chatter. Um, yeah, it was great. Um, the worship team was wonderful. You could tell they really loved what they were singing, and um, as did the people around them. Um, they sing, like Isaac said, in different languages and different kinds of songs. Um, yeah, they loved it. It was great. So um, the sermon by Pastor Barry was um, preached about the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and you could tell that he thought out every word that he said and he believed what he was saying. Um, in his heart, and um, yeah, he knew what the church needed to hear, and what St. Louis needed to hear, um, and yeah, did a great job. One thing that stood out to me was that um, Jesus preached that we are members of his kingdom, so we are not members of the kingdoms on this earth. Um, and that my identity is in God alone, not here, not in 
my country, not in the world, not in my culture, but in God. Um, so that's just really good to be reminded of. Um, yeah. So yeah, he did a great job. He's doing a ton of work throughout St. Louis and, um, I, everywhere you go, you see, um, that people know about New City and they, you can tell that they have been working through and in St. Louis for a long time. So, um, in the beginning of the service, someone announced needing someone to take in the missionaries for lunch. Um, I didn't know that they hadn't already planned who would take us. So a sweet lady in front of us um, offered to take, you know, half the group. Um, so me, an intern, and two others on our team walked with her to her house. She has three boys and her husband, small children, um, and they were just so generous with their food and their time. Um, her husband grilled on a very hot day, um, so... That was, I would not do that. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was great. Um, this was on Father's Day as well. And so we came, we're like, hey, happy Father's Day. Nice to meet you. I'm going to eat your food. <laughs> um, and like most families, including mine, you kind of do your own thing on Father's Day. You just eat lunch with your dad um, and... Yeah, it's not, you don't really do anything with other families, at least we don't, but um, they celebrated us that day, and they focused on us, and they talked to us and opened their home to people they've never met, um, and made us feel very welcome. Um, we, we didn't feel like we were a burden or an annoyance. We probably were, though. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. But, yeah, as someone who was being served in that moment, it makes you want to do the same for others. Um, and so I pray and hope for Grace Chapel and myself that we can look at the things we have as something we can share um, with the church and with visitors and newcomers and um, aliens to our community. Um, and that our home and our houses would be welcoming and a safe place um, where people would know the love of Jesus. So, Hi, my name is Emma Vonchalia, and today I'm going to be talking about the mission trip, and more specifically, the devotionals we did every morning. So the main devotional I wanted to talk about was Paul Patterson's History of Race in St. Louis. So to give an overview, Paul explained the racial makeup of the city and how it changed over the years. During the Jim Crow era, the city of St. Louis passed an ordinance stating that if a neighborhood is 75% or more of one race, then no other race may occupy any of the buildings or houses. This was quickly ended, and in turn, racial covenants came into place. In the deeds of the home, real estate agents would put things um, only allowing the Caucasian people to buy the house. This was a form of redlining. Another big factor to the split on racial segregation um, was white flight. Real estate agents would encourage white house owners to sell their homes for low prices so that they could leave the neighborhood before um, it became populated with black families. Uh, the known line of this divide is Delmar Boulevard. South of Delmar has many gated communities and was predominantly occupied by white people. The north was predominantly occupied by black people and was visibly not as nice as the south side. Um, so when we were in St. Louis, every night we would go to a boba place on Delmar Boulevard after backyard Bible clubs. Um, and our backyard Bible clubs were south, no, they were north, my bad, of um, Del Mar. And it was visible to us um, as a group that the area we were in was 
very much not as nice as what was just south of Del Mar Boulevard. Um, Isaac also explained to us that the colleges and universities were south of Del Mar Boulevard. Um, whereas if you went north, it was you could see like police cameras that were up on stoplights monitoring what was going on. They also would detect gunshots in the area. Um, and so after hearing Paul Patterson's talk, it very much um, helped me to put in place the idea that, like, you know, we can see it in other towns, but like in St. Louis, it is very much visible that if you just go a little bit south or a little bit north, like, it is so much difference within the neighborhoods. And just the maps that he showed us, it really helped me to, like, think about what we were doing and realize that, you know, there's such a racial disparity even now, um, and that's because of past things. Um, Paul also talked about the divides of the city and the county, and I honestly can't tell you what the streets were that he told us that the divides were on, but basically, there is mass abandonment from the city, um, and people are moving and fleeing to the county and suburban surrounding St. Louis. And this was very much obvious. Um, so we were in North City for one of our projects, and we were helping Miss Levy, who's a widow, and she owned some land across the street from her, um, and she had a bunch of garden beds, and so we were helping with her gardening. But you could just see the abandonment because the house to her right was boarded up, you know, no trespassing signs, like it had been completely abandoned. And then across the street, there were empty lots. Um, and in past St. Louis, they had gone through and knocked down all the abandoned homes. And then the empty lots, if you cared for them long enough, you would get the lot to yourself. It would be added or added land. And so that's what Miss Livia did, and that's why she had those garden beds. Um, but just to see that, like, the numerous multiple empty lots in the neighborhood and then the, like, out, almost outrageous number of houses in the neighborhood that were abandoned. Um, there was also a school down the street that was completely burnt out um, and had been destroyed. It looks... It was in really rough shape, and it looked like it hadn't been used for probably 15, 20 years. But Miss Lovey did talk about her kids going to that school. Um, and so just to think about that, you know, St. Louis has had such problems with this abandonment that a school that Miss Lovey's kids went to was now burnt out and destroyed. And so that was hard to think about. Um, I also, when we had lunch with one of the families from the church. Um, this family talked about how they were trying to move into one of, a different school district because the high school was unaccredited. Um, so basically, if you went to the high school and you graduated, you wouldn't, ha you wouldn't get any credit from the high school. It was basically like, you didn't go at all. Um, and so the mom was working really hard to try and get out of that school district. And I remember just all of us talking to him and being like, well, yeah, you should try and get involved with your school. And, um, you know, you're going to be a freshman. So, you know, try. he wanted to play football. So try and talk to your coaches and other teammates. And just to think about, like, driving by the school and looking at it and being like, oh, my gosh. Like, that is not the school that I would have thought it was me going to southeast like where I can you know join the teams talk to the coaches whereas like this was called Normandy High School they had no funding um so they probably wouldn't I don't even know if they would have had a football team and if they did their equipment would have been so old and used and just realizing that such a difference and so Paul's talk really helped me to realize you know the boundaries of like well we're in North City and so if you go out to North County like it's bustling with people um, but Miss Lovey being a widow she can't move out there so she's stuck living with abandoned homes and empty lots so yeah the morning devos were hard because uh, we were all tired, <laughs> for sure, but 
um, I think Paul's talk especially helped me to realize like how beneficial it was for us to be there and to be helping. Hi everybody, I'm Hudson Davey. Um, I'm going to talk about the tutoring we got to help out with. So every day we got to go to New City's South location and do tutoring for elementary age kids. There are about 10 to 15 kids per class and we were split into two classes. Allie, Naomi, and Marty and I were uh, with the older kids which were from 3rd to 6th grade. And everyone else worked with the children that were 2nd grade and under. Most of the kids were from the Karen group, which is a tribe from Burma, but there were also kids from places like Thailand, Nepal, and Nigeria. During the tutoring time, we got to help them out with reading, and we were able to build relationships with each kid. One thing that God showed me through the tutoring experience was how much I enjoy working with children and just minorities in general. There was one kid whose name was Songpi. Uh, he was part of the Karen tribe. He was super shy and he wouldn't talk to anyone on the first day So he just sat next to him and he opened up to me a lot the next few days He also had a little sister in our class named Vong and one day they showed up and they were really sad and quiet So much that we could tell that they were probably something happening at home uh, That day we stayed a little closer to them and they both seemed to really appreciate having someone on their side that they could talk to and it felt really good to be that person. Uh, I feel like it's really important that we take time to focus on the children because Jesus said that if you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, you will not be able to enter it. One thing I appreciate about Grace Chapel is the neighborhood we're in, um, which is home to families from the same places that these kids were from. I'm looking forward to see how God will give us opportunities to do stuff with them too. First of all, uh, St. Louis is very different from Lincoln. It's also very similar. Um, as Naomi talked about, the people of St. Louis are very, very open. Um, they're very welcoming. Uh, they welcome you in a different way than, uh, I guess you could say, you would expect. Um, they give everything they have, not to impress you, but to make you feel at home. Um, they don't have a whole lot. A lot of them don't. Um, the segregation is much different from here, but they are some of the nicest people you will ever meet. They, they care about their city. They care about the people in their city. Um, and overall, from the overload of caffeine to getting to see kids running over hills, um, just to give you a hug because you're there for them, to give them the attention that they don't get at home it's just heartwarming. It's, it's amazing to see just the impact that you can have on kids' lives just for being there and giving them a hug or just high five or something like that just to, just to give them a very small amount of attention because they more than likely don't get any. Um, for me, it was a blessing uh, just to be able to be there uh, having come um, out in a rough situation, um, my, my grandpa had had a heart attack on the Thursday before we left. Um, so I was going out there unsure whether or not I should go. I remember on, a, on the Friday night before we left, um, I was at a, just a family gathering because we were just having dinner at my grandparents' house um, with my grandma. And I remember asking my grandma, debating in my head what, whether or not I should go what I should do, if I should go or if I should stay, uh, just to see how everything plays out. And she asked me a question. She said, do you think you should go? What do you think Grandpa would tell you to do? And the instant response was, I got to go. Because that's what he would tell me to do. And um, but So the next morning we woke up. Got in the van, had way too much junk food, and drove the six-hour car drive all the way to St. Louis. Um, throughout that week, he was in uh, recovery, and I, heard, I uh, had gotten a call that Saturday morning hearing that uh, he had woken up um, and was had uh, squeezed a finger, which meant that he was going to be okay. And uh, so he actually came home the day that we the day that we got back um, and mowed the lawn. So, that just goes to show the kind of person he is. Um, 
There was another thing that happened uh, that can happen in one night at St. Louis. Um, you can people get shot by the week. It's very common, and according to a guy named Josh, who we helped uh, at a church, I believe it was a Hispanic church, um, which I had never had never been to or heard of much of, um, which I thought was super cool because they had. It reminded me a lot of here. Uh, we were doing work um, for work day there, and we were um, moving a kitchen, basically. We were just tearing the entire thing to shreds. It was a place with way too much mouse poop and a lot of stains on the ground that who knows where they came from. But it was quite the experience, and getting to hear that your neighbor might not even know you're dead, or your neighbor could be the one that pulls your body out of the street. And I'm not going to lie to you, that's, that's scary. That's scary to be in a place where that is a reality for so many people. Um, and it was just a blessing to be with people who would interact with you and talk to you about that. Um, and there were, as Isaac said, there was interns who interacted with us quite a lot. Um, they were very, very open. They were willing to talk with us for hours upon end about our life, about Christ, about loving Christ as much as they did. Um, and getting to hear their stories was so, so encouraging. Um, but they would help with uh, the Backyard Bible Clubs and just the tutoring and everything. Uh, and they were, they were just overall very good influences for us. Uh, Workday was another thing that they helped with. Um, we got to help, as I said, with uh, a church um, cleaning out a kitchen in a church. Uh, The other two days we were doing outside work. We were doing gardening or we were doing, um, we were building a wheelchair ramp for a woman, a widow named uh, Miss Minnie, which I believe they're still working on from what I've heard. Uh, We, as Emma said, um, we got to help Miss Lovey with uh, flower beds. Uh, We got to weed them and plant um, plant flowers. Uh, We got to talk with a man named John Brown. It's not the John Brown you guys are thinking of. Um, But uh, he had a very interesting, he had a lot of really good stories to tell us, um, and he was an incredible cook, to say the least. Um, Overall, uh, it was just getting very, very eye-opening to get to see the smiles of the kids. Um, at Backyard Bible Clubs at Tutoring. Um, it was, I swear, it was like seeing a slow-mo shot out of a movie. These kids were just running over a hill to come give you a hug because you were there to play with them, because you were there to be with them and give them attention that they never got. I don't have that much hair on my head, but I let them braid it. <laughs> um, it was just extremely eye-opening to get to see um, the impact you can make just from saying hi to a kid that you've never met in your life. Um, but I just thank the Lord for the opportunity to come and uh, make a difference in some kid's life. Uh, I wanted to share Marty Ruskamp uh, also went, and he's not here uh, with us. He's out of town this weekend, and so I'd like to read what he wrote uh, to share. Hello, my name is Marty Ruskamp. I attend Grace Chapel Youth Group and go to Two Pillars Church. I would have preferred to talk to you in person, but I'm still glad to have the chance to share. I'm going to be talking about Backyard Bible Clubs. Backyard Bible Clubs are a time for us to spend time and play with a wide variety of kids, mostly made up of refugee children and less fortunate, and then also share the gospel for as long as a child's attention span is while they have toys in front of them, so not very long. The first day we were located at a park, which was located next to the apartment complex where most of the kids lived. We then moved back down the block to the church office building parking lot down the street. Backyard Bible clubs are a very important part of the church's program and one of the most memorable. These kids wait weeks to months just for the days we roll up in our vans to play with them. This was shown to us Sunday night when we arrived at the park and a huge group of maybe 30 or 40 of them came sprinting down the hill towards us. Something so simple like a group of kids coming to play with them would make their weeks. 
Backyard Bible Clubs is not just good for the kids. It was also a huge learning experience for our whole group. The people we met and the stories we were told can make you change the way you uh, think and see life. It really showed me how much I take for granted. There really is no way to explain how we left that neighborhood different, but I know we didn't come out of there the same. We didn't just go play with kids. We connected with kids. We grieved with kids. We celebrated with kids. We laughed with kids. It really showed me that God cares for everyone and God's kingdom is for everyone, and I mean everyone. God doesn't see me any greater or worse than these kids. They're just like us. Whatever we look like, however big our house is, or how hard we had to work to get food on the table, or if we had to flee our country in fear of our life, or if we have to fear how drunk our dad is when he gets home, or if we have to question every loud bang to be a gunshot or something else. The stories go on, but it does not set us apart. We are equal in God's image, and there is place for all of us in heaven, and there is nothing greater than that. So that was Marty Ruskamp. Uh, I know that I'm aware of the time. I'm going to also share just my own interaction. Uh, just because as a pastor, uh, I don't just facilitate kids going down, but my life was changed also. Uh, and so I just want to share a brief story before we turn to communion. Um, Miss Lovey, as the kids have talked about, was one of the widows that we served for a couple days. She's 91 years old. She had lived in her home for over 60 years. She lived in the upstairs of a duplex um, that was really small, maybe one or two bedroom house uh, on the upstairs duplex part. Uh, she was um, non-ambulatory, so she had to have a, a chair that would take her down the stairs. And the stairs were really, really steep. I would have been afraid. I was afraid to go down the stairs walking. She was afraid to go down them on the chair, and so she didn't get out very much at all. Uh, and one of the scripture passages that my youth pastor that started a ministry out in Pittsburgh uh, that was kind of the, the drive or the motto of their mission is from Zechariah 8, 4 through 8, and I'll read it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. And I literally got to sit with Miss Lovey on her little deck that was, I don't know, six feet by five feet or something, and she would sit there and watch the neighborhood go by. And in her 60 years, she had seen the, the neighborhood abandoned. She had seen the school that her kids went to burn down. She had seen abandoned house after abandoned house. She had seen everybody moved out, and yet she remained. And it was there watching, it was as she and I were talking one day, and she was giving me the business, which she did all the time. There was a man about my age that walked up the street, and everyone said hi to Miss Lovey. And she said, that man was shot three weeks ago. And I just thought of, this, of these verses, of her vision right, of when God comes and restores all things. And when Miss Lovey will be able to sit in her chair with her cane and be able to watch the little ones at play and to see her neighborhood thrive, but that being in the new heavens and the new earth, that will be a beautiful day. And it makes me long for those people. There are widows all over in our city and in St. Louis and all over who are just alone in the idea of God fixing everything and bringing life out of death and abandonment, that is the hope that we have in Christ. That's where our hope lies, is that Jesus will come and restore all things. So that was how I was transformed, was just to be able to spend time and see from her eagle eye view and think, man, oh, Jesus, come, come quickly. Uh, moving on as we come to the time of communion, I want to finish up the scripture verses that I was assigned to preach on today. This will be short. Acts twenty-two seventeen through 21 says this. 
Paul continues, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. God took off the scales and gave Paul new sight that the kingdom of God is coming into expression and includes more than he had previously thought. In this last section, we see Paul move from persecutor to witness for Christ. We see that Paul thought his blindness before would prevent God from using him now. Yet we see that contrary to being useless, God uses Paul to reach the entire world for the gospel. At the table, we see Jesus welcome us. He welcomes those of us who have gone from sinner to holy one in Christ. Sure, We see our sins and our unworthiness. But at the table, at the table we are reminded that Jesus has dealt with all of that. We too have gone from persecutor of Christ to child of God to witness to the world of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we have. From persecutor to adopted son or daughter to witness. So with that in mind, let's pray and turn our attention to communion. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you're doing here in the near south and in Lincoln and St. Louis and uh, all the places that we got to serve you around St. Louis. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see all that you're doing. Remind us that you are on the move. Remind us that you care about the widow and the orphan, the refugee, the immigrant, the fatherless. You care deeply about them, and as your children, you call us to that same thing, to love those who are often overlooked and taken advantage of. Lord, as we come to the table, we ask that you would be with us. Feed us, nourish us, equip us, and send us out. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.